believe if, if you have not gotten one of these in the past few weeks, I'm encouraging you to grab one. And I think we have some extras here on the table next to the offering box. If anybody would like, Deb's going to give us a hand here. If anybody would like to have one in their hand, they can have one right now. And of course, you also, if you remember, this is available to you uh, via your phone, an app on your phone. And that app is called Life on Mission. <clears throat> and it's free, but it has all of the information that's in here contained within that, uh, that app. And I want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly go through this here in just a moment because we have covered most of the material in here and then I'm going to kind of circle back. But uh, one of our folks, one of our folks last week, and I'm not going to point them out because I don't want them to be embarrassed, but uh, messaged me after church last week. And I had just talked pretty extensively about the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ might just arise in, in the most normal of circumstances where you wouldn't expect it to be. Um, and so I said, you know, we need to be prepared. I told the story about being down at 49th State Brewing Company with the pastors from Route 418 Fellowship, just having dinner and talking about future ministry and things like that and, and how this gospel conversation happened with one of the pastors right next to us. And it was just something God orchestrated and it was something God was in. And so uh, one of our folks here last week, after I talked about that, messaged me later in the day and said, um, I just went to a little party with some friends and, and such, and God just opened the door for a gospel conversation to the point where this person I was talking to went in the house and got their Bible and brought it out so we could share some scriptures together. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Now, did it result in a full-fledged, I'm going to become a follower of Christ? I don't think it did. But, you know, the Bible says that sometimes we plant seeds and sometimes other people water and then someone still yet will harvest. It is not our job to convert people. In fact, that's a somewhat of a bad mission because it has a tendency to turn people into projects. And we don't want people to be projects. We want them to be people. We are, however, called to be willing to share the good news, to throw the seed out. And then it's God's business of whether we might get to enjoy that moment right then with them when they come to the realization of their need for Christ and they want to call out to him or it could happen decades from now. And we won't know until we're together in glory with Christ and we meet those who because of something that we did, maybe, was a part of their journey in coming to Christ. Um, so, uh, let, me, let me go through this. Jay, can we, do you have the slides for us today? You're so good, look at that. All right, so, uh, if you're visiting with us today or you haven't been here for the previous weeks or whatever, this is, uh, this book here, we used to call these tracts, right? T-R-A-C-T-S, uh, T-R-A-C-T-S, tract. Uh, and there's all kinds of good ones out there, and there's all kinds of bad ones out there, so be careful. But it's just a simple thing that you can, one, you could keep this in your pocket or keep it in your car or keep it somewhere, or you can use the app, or what's great about this one is it's so simple you can just draw it on a napkin or a tablecloth or something like that. It just, it's pretty straightforward. 
the key there is that you kind of get familiar with what it says so that you know what you're talking about, right? That's what we've been focusing on these last two weeks, is that we become familiar with sharing the gospel so that it becomes comfortable to share the gospel. That does not mean that every circumstance will be comfortable, but if you never shared the good news of Jesus and your own story of, of life with Christ, then it will never be any measure of comfortable to share it. Uh, it really does get better by sharing it. You get better at doing it because you get more familiar with the story. So I'm just going to work through these things that we've talked through the last couple of weeks, not in detail, because the detail is in here and it is in the app. And if you, is anybody looking at the app right now? So I see Jim is. I'm just going to point out a couple of things to you so that you can see that. On the first screen here, it has the, the empty this guy. It's, it's, it's not complete. It doesn't have anything written in. And as you step through the pages, it starts just like this one does with the first circle that says God's design, right? And there's a little bit of information down here, but if you go to that center tab, there's another section that says the best news, and then it talks about the bad news is the bad news is sin, right? And then the good news is Jesus. Uh, I, this is kind of good. It goes from bad news to worse news <laughs> to good news, all right? So there's, there's resources there that as you're having that conversation, if you sort of need to dig a little bit deeper, you can do that. All of that same information is in this, all right? They've just separated it out differently there. So that being said, here's what we've talked about if you want to go through it with me. We understand that God has a design for us, and that design is that we, as people, as humans, as distinct among creation of having, the Bible says, to, to have been created in the image of God. And we discussed here a couple weeks ago about how there's no theologian that knows fully what that phrase means. We have a lot of ideas, and there are a lot of things that Scripture sort of points to about that. But we don't know exactly all that that encompasses, but we do know as we can see in our own interaction with nature that people are pretty different than anything else. Oh, I've cut now. People are pretty different than anything else on the planet. And so God's design when he created us is that we would have relationship with him, communion with him. And the problem we have, the bad news is that sin happens. And I'm going to come back around to this here in just a minute and share this to you in a different way with some of the same resources that are in here, but a little bit different. Uh, what is sin? Sin is being disobedient to anything that God would want for us to do. It can be uh, where we do something that violates our relationship with God. It can be something that violates our relationship with one another. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The earliest, most important commandment, according to Jesus, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, what is sin? Sin is when we do things where we're not loving God with everything we have and we're not loving our neighbor in the way that we should. That's sin. And we can find all kinds of specifics that fall into those categories. What that leads to is a brokenness. It breaks that relationship between us and God and it breaks the relationship between us and our fellow made in the image of God humans. And then what happens in the midst of that brokenness, all these little arrows as we go and we try all kinds of other things to try and and solve that problem. Inherently, humanity in its expression knows that something's not right. 
something is broken. We believe that the Bible gives us the truth about what's broken and how to, and how to repair it. So we see that God, he has this design that he intends for us. Sin causes a problem and it breaks that design, causes this brokenness in our lives. We try all kinds of ways to, to, to fill that. But there's good news on the horizon. It's this. It's called the gospel. What does gospel mean? Anybody? Good news. There's good news. And that good news, sometimes the good news is presented as good news is I can go to heaven when I die. And that's good news. Um, sometimes good news is that I can have a life that has a purpose that transcends just human existence when I have life with Christ. And that is also good news. And Jesus talked about that. He said we could have life and we could have a life that's abundant. But the good news is really that this brokenness can be repaired. That's the good news. We can be restored to a, the relationship that God intended when he first designed mankind and be restored to a, a life that has communion with him. And how do we do that? And this down here, this says, we repent and believe. Now, don't be afraid of the word repent. Repent is a good word. It's good for us in many areas of our lives. At its most basic meaning, it means to recognize those things where we are doing things that don't love God or we're doing things that don't love our neighbor and we determine we're not going to do those things anymore. We, have, we recognize those for being sin and we say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I, instead, I want to love God with all that I am and I want to love my neighbor in the same way. But deeper than that is that the Bible says that we can be transformed into new creatures who don't think and behave the way that we used to because we can be transformed into a new creation in Christ who now become people who, who naturally love one another and naturally love God because his spirit is within us. So repentance really means to think about the way we think about things. There's scripture that talks about that which I used to consider to be okay for me, I now understand is no longer good for me. And we could put that in worldly terms of I used to think it was okay for me to just be filled with lust because that's the way humans are made and yet now I understand that scripture teaches me that I'm to look at my fellow human beings not as objects but as people created in the image of God. We just say that I, I used to think it was okay, that I, it didn't matter who I hurt or who I stepped on on my way up the ladder because it was, it was about me and I'm getting what I can get. But now I understand that I should see those around me as people to care for and not as mechanisms to get what I want and where I want to go. And in the process of that, I'm also honoring and loving God because God loves those people just like he loves me. And if I treat them well, then I'm also expressing love to God. And we can make, again, a whole list about what that looks like. To change the way we used to think about the way we think. That's true repentance. To have our minds transformed by the power of God. 
And the good news is that when we choose that, when we agree to that, when we submit to that and allow God to do that work in our lives, that we're restored, we recover, and we pursue God's design. Now we're back in the place where our primary purpose, our primary focus, our function is to pursue that communion with God that he intended from the beginning, that relationship with God that he wanted for humanity. We pursue it, we enjoy it, and we can repair that which was broken. And the reason this is built in a circle is because we have a tendency to to still sometimes get off the rail. Can I say this, that that this process of repenting and believing is a process. And we believe the Bible teaches that there's a one-time event that can happen in your life where you say, I'm ready to be a follower of Christ. I hear him calling me to follow him and to live as he would have me to live, and I'm going to do it. I receive that gift of salvation. And that's a one-time thing. But the process of repenting and believing Sometimes there's a whole lot of hardwiring that needs to be rewired in our lives. And don't be, don't be ashamed or afraid that that's a process. The good news is that even if we still stumble into sin and get broken, we can continue to repent and believe. And God is gracious to continue to receive us in and to restore that relationship. And so, friends, that's one way of explaining the good news, the gospel. And if you look in there, if you look in the the app or in here, you'll see, what should I do next? And I'm not going to do that part yet because I want to share some other things with you. Uh, And then we're going to sing together and we'll be dismissed today. Uh, So I want to tell you about camp. I just came back from uh, jam camp. We had 70 middle schoolers and high schoolers out at uh, Laverne Griffin Camp. And a wonderful team out of Kentucky came out. My notes are on my phone this morning instead of my iPad, so don't worry. I'm not checking my texts. Uh, I'm looking at my notes. And it was really a, it was a great week. Um, weather held for the most part. All right, I'm going to grab my microphone. church that came up to help us and jam camp for those who don't know is a little different for us in our summer camping season and and we partner with a camp facility that's in the valley called Laverne Griffin camp and Karen and I went there when we were teenagers our boys went there when they were little boys and and youth growing up and I've been a camp pastor there for one week out of the summer off and on for about 15 years or so something like that and it's just been a real blessing to see how God works there. And uh, Jam Camp is different from our other camps because the other camps that we host are basically just wide open. Within the age group, boys and girls, anybody can come. We generally don't know a lot of these kids. We'll know about 50% of them, and they'll come. Whereas Jam Camp focuses on arts and music and creative endeavors, uh, and it doesn't just mean uh, music. It doesn't just, when we say art, we don't mean only 
painting or drawing or things like that. We've had sculpting in the past. Last year, Heather Ashley, one of our members here, came out and taught woodworking uh, in our shop out there. That was extremely popular. And what happens is before camp starts, uh, the campers sign up, and then they can choose a, two events that they want to be part of each day. And, and so in the morning, if they're, if let's say, for instance, this year we had advanced piano, a teacher doing advanced piano, then every morning in their first breakout, they will go to the advanced piano class. And in the afternoon, this year we had our artist, Jameson, was back with us, and each year he picks something different, and this year it was, it was drawing. Uh, sketch drawing and, and charcoal pencils and things like that. And so then they'll go to the afternoon, they'll go to drawing all week long. And at the end of the week, Thursday night, we have a presentation where all the parents and grandparents and friends can come and see what they've done all week long. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. But for the most part, these campers are kids who uh, are engaged in their church back home and are looking for some skills that they might take back to their churches to be involved. So, uh, for instance, this year we taught uh, how to run ProPresenter, the program that's putting those things on the screen for us every, every Sunday. It's, it's a fairly complex program, and it takes some understanding of how to do that. We had uh, 10 kids who signed up to learn worship tech, so how to run a soundboard, uh, how to do live streaming, how to run uh, the media, things like that, that hopefully they can take right back to their churches and get involved. So I say all that to say that in general, we approach this camp as if most of the campers who come have heard the gospel because they're in a church somewhere. And I can tell you this, this is my third year as jam camp pastor. And the first year I came to it from having done 10 years of a camp that we called X-Faith, and that was the just anybody comes camp. And during that camp, we would have a time where we would present the gospel and give an opportunity for people to respond. We, we try very hard not to uh, manipulate. We're not trying to, like, so we're not doing the cult thing where we wear them out until Thursday night and they're exhausted and then we can make them do whatever we want. We're not doing that kind of stuff. In fact, we actively work against that kind of mindset. But we present the gospel and give an opportunity for people to make a decision. And over those years, we've had a number of campers express that they believed God was calling them to be saved and that they wanted to respond to that. We've had the opportunity to do some baptisms right there in the lake. Jam camp is different because most of these campers have heard the gospel. And so year number one, I came to it from the Y'all Come Youth Camp and I treated it kind of the same and was a little weird because when we did what we would call the gospel appeal, a presentation very similar to what I just gave you, no one responded, which was just unusual in that environment. And so I was thankful that we did that, I think, night number two of our camp. And so by the end of the camp, I started thinking, well, these kids are ones who are kind of plugged in at their churches. They're in their youth group. They're already wanting to serve or they are serving in their churches. Maybe, maybe there's some kids here who God's calling to ministry or to missions, to be a missionary. And so I did a sermon about that and asked that question and massive response. So we get last year, year number two, very similar 
We get to this year, year number three, we have 70 kids, which is about 30 more than we had two years ago and about 20 more than we had last year. So we're growing, right? It's awesome. And I'm on deck for night number three. I do night number one. I trade out with Pastor Shane, who came up from Kentucky for night number two, and he was fantastic. And we're, we're teaching, we have a theme, we're teaching around made to worship, and we had four topics. Um, who do we worship? Why do we worship? How do we worship? And where do we worship? Those were the four, those were the four nights. And his philosophy, very similar to mine, not, no big theatrics, no uh, guilt trips, no hellfire and brimstone. We're just, we're just teaching out of the word. We're teaching very much like I do here every Sunday where I just take and work through a passage and talk about what it says. And so night number three, my passage is how do we worship? How do we worship? I'm going to do with you uh, what I did with them just real briefly. So uh, give me some answers to that question. How do we worship? Okay. We, 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 uh, let's drill down into that a little bit more. You guys can join in this conversation, not just Deb and I. Uh, but for instance here, right, we sang together. Um, Brian played the piano. Deb also plays the piano, but plays the piano usually in a different environment, more formal, right? Um, for choirs or for performance of more, I mean, she can play classical music and things like that. And that can also be worship, right? What else? Is that it? Okay, prayer. And, and thank you, but I'm... We've tried very hard at Christ Community Church, and I think this is really important, that we don't refer to the music as the worship and the preaching as the preaching. It's all worship. We know that the Bible says preaching is foolish, uh, and I get it because it's a very inefficient way to communicate, but it's what God has given us. But the whole thing is worship. Your presence is worship. So we sing, we pray. What else? Okay, yes. I'm going to touch on that here in just a moment. Uh, Enjoying God's creation can be worship. What else? All right. Hanging out with each other. Right? Yeah. Being with one another. Have you thought about that? You know, you sit down for a cup of coffee with a, a Christian friend and you talk about life and where the Lord's at in it, that that's an act of worship. To take your time that you could spend on anything and dedicate it to speaking and thinking about the Lord in your life. We won't go on this forever. I'm not looking for, it's not like I'm waiting for you to say the right answer. These are all good answers. Perfect. Yeah, being thankful. Okay, all right. Giving can be an act of worship, right? Yeah, Uh, serving one another or serving your community. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that can be sort of like 
many of these that we're talking about are, are very communal in nature, but there's also, when we talk about prayer or perhaps thanksgiving or medit meditating on the things of God, yeah? Uh, the psalmist says, let the meditations of my heart be directed towards you. Good. Here's the thing, and we had the same conversation on Wednesday. Those are all good and accurate. But we cannot effectively worship if we do not know the one we are worshiping. In fact, the Bible talks about this. It says, if I speak with the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, and when he says love, this is in Corinthians chapter 13, the, love, the word for love there in the Greek is agape, which is a God-like love. If I speak even with tongues of angels, but I don't have love, which means love for God and love for people, I'm just a, a brassy, ugly-sounding symbol or gong, noise. I'm, I'm a noisemaker. There are other passages that talk about if we, if we worship in a manner that isn't worthy, I'll say, and I don't mean where you're good enough. I mean, it's not directed really at God. It's more directed at our own ego. The Bible says that God doesn't hear that. In fact, there's a couple of places where it makes him really angry. We talk about prayer. There's an example of uh, a pretty rich guy and a poor guy standing on opposite street corners. And they're headed toward the synagogue and the, Jesus tells the story. He says the, the rich man walks up to the corner, sort of rends his clothes and makes a big production, thrusts his head to the sky and shouts out, Oh God, thank you for me being so good and I'm glad I'm not that guy over there. And the other guy on the other street corner, he's not real popular in town. His life hasn't gone particularly well. And he finds himself on the street corner and Jesus said, he hangs his head and he says to God, oh God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those prayers is worship and one of them is not. One of them he hears and one of them he dismisses. So if we take any of these actions, you know, if we're up here playing our guitars or playing the piano or singing, or if we're here in church to be a performance because we want people to see us or we want to be noted or we're checking a box to say we did our good deed for the week, it's not true worship. And I would say if we don't know the one we're worshiping, nothing we do is true worship. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. It's one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible. I, I think it's John 15. My head's not wrapping it around, but it's the woman at the well. And I, and I won't tell you the whole story because we, we don't have time. But I'll suffice it to say this. Jesus is there at this well. It has great, 
history to it for the people. And he's in a part of the country where people like him, meaning Jews, are not real welcome. He's in Samaria. But he's near this well, and this woman comes down in the heat of the day. We don't really know why she comes down in the heat of the day. We can make lots of guesses as to why, but the normal time would be to come in the morning with all the other women when it's cool still and you're getting the water for the rest of the day. But she comes at the sixth hour, which is noon. The sun is at its peak. It's as hot as it can be. And she comes down with this big water jar, and she's going to fill it, and she's going to take it back. And they have this conversation where Jesus asks her to give him some water, and she says, well, you don't have a cup to draw any water with. How am I supposed to give you water? All I have is this jug. And he says to her, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water instead. Because I have a water that will, that will satisfy a thirst you have, and you'll never thirst again. And then she recognizes that he's a Jew, and she's a little bit baffled that they're having this conversation because they don't usually talk to each other as Jews and, and Sumerians, much less a man to a woman. And so she asks him this question. She says, you know, your people say that the right place to worship God is over on that mountain over there. But my people say that this mountain over here is the right place to worship God. Who's correct? And Jesus, like he often does, just side-swipes the question. He says it has nothing to do with the mountain. It has to do with the one you worship and how you worship him. He says, there's two things you must have in order to authentically worship God. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. You must worship him in spirit means your spirit is your being. It's who you are. It's, it's what makes you, you. It can't just be an act with your body. It can't just be making your voice do something. It can't just be checking off a box or making time for something. It's, it's all of you directing your attention towards God to give him worship. And then you must worship him in truth. You must worship him honestly, not trying to hide things from him, not trying to, to impress everybody else that they might think you're righteous, even though you know that you're not righteous. It's just, it's just you being you, worshiping him in truth, which also means worshiping him for who he is and has revealed himself to be. Can't try to make him your own God. Can't put him into your own box and make him comfortable for you. You have to acknowledge who he is and who he says that he is to humanity. And that conversation just radically transforms her to where she runs back to her town. And the passage says she went back and she told everyone in the town, You've got to meet this guy. He changed everything about me. And that is sharing the gospel. And so I submit to you this morning that we can't share the gospel if we don't know the one that the gospel is pointing to, the one who is worthy of our worship. And so I'm going to go through the same thing that I did 
with my campers, forgot that my phone was in my pocket because I'm old. Psalm 98, chapter 4, says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. So we're commanded to do that, right? Uh, Luke chapter 17, 15. Did I give you that one? Sorry. Seventeen fifteen. Sometimes this is how people worship. Then one of them was healed. He saw that he was healed and turned back and praised God with a loud voice. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let your voice be heard. Worship God. When something happens, lift your voice to him. But do you know who he is? Romans 12.1. Did I give you that one? Okay, good. So how do we worship? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, which this word brothers, by the way, is the one that we talked about a few weeks ago. It doesn't mean men. It means humanity. In the Greek, it means humanity. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and actually this word here, oh, never mind. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, what? Worship. Now, the word bodies here doesn't mean just your flesh and bones. It means your being, the totality of who you are. The writer here is Paul, and he says he's begging that you and I would present ourselves to God completely, fully, as an act of worship. And some translations where it says spiritual worship, some translations it says, which is your reasonable act of worship. And what he's saying there is if you think about who God is, if you think about what God has done, if you think about yourself in comparison to who God is, your reasonable response will be to worship him. And he urges us to do that. And so then four more brief, brief pieces of, of scripture here. Romans 3.23. All right, remember we have God's design and then we have a problem. Something gets broken and this is what does it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why it's important for us not to look down on one another because everybody's in the same boat. Everybody has the same problem. All have sinned in some way against their fellow man or against God and they fall short of having the glory of God, being in the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. We know what wages are, right? It's what we earn. It's what we deserve to get paid for what we've done. So if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. It's what we all deserve. The Bible teaches us that physical death came into the world because of sin and that humanity will experience spiritual death 
because of sin. My favorite word in all of the Bible, most of the times it shows up in the work of God. But. But. The free gift of God is eternal life and in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now how do we how do we access that eternal life? How do we receive that? We, if we're acknowledging, we say, okay, all right, I understand God's design. He wants us to have a relationship with him. But I also understand that if I believe the Bible, it tells me that that relationship has been broken and it's been broken by sin. How then do I deal with that if everybody's in the same boat, which includes me, and I see that there's this gift that God is offering of eternal life. How do I get that? John 3.16, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. All the good news is wrapped up right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. God loves the world. That means that God loves you. God so loved you. He looked down through the courses of time and loved you and gave his son Jesus. That if you would believe in him, you could have eternal life. That, that brokenness could be restored and renewed and no longer be broken. And then finally, Romans 10, 9. I see my problem. I understand there's a gift. That gift is the sacrifice of Jesus himself. How do I get it? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what does it mean to confess him with your mouth? It doesn't mean just to acknowledge that he existed. It means to confess him as Lord, it says. That means to acknowledge that everything that Jesus has said about himself is true. Now, you may not know the totality of what he said about himself. That's part of the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. And maybe, maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're thinking, well, I need to know more. That's, that's okay. Let's know more. Let's get together and know more about Jesus so that you can understand this gift of salvation. But it could be that God is calling you right now. You sense that in your life, you recognize that you've had sin. You've recognized that it's broken your life and you recognize that you need rescue or help of some kind and you're hearing this morning that that rescue is in Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to say yes to that this morning because that's really all you need to know. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin separates us from God and the Bible teaches that without the remedy of Christ, we risk being separated from God for all of eternity because of our sin. But he is willing and able to offer us a remedy through the death of Jesus Christ, where he pays those wages for our sin instead of us having to pay those wages. That's what it means to believe in him as Lord that he willingly came and took that penalty and paid those wages on the cross. And then we are willing to accept that gift and follow him and become a disciple of Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We talk about this every Easter here. 
Without the resurrection, the gospel has no power. They're just good words. Maybe with some hope in them. But Jesus had to die to pay those wages. And he also had to be born again, resurrected out of the ground to prove that he truly is the one who holds the power of life and death in his hands, both here on earth and for all of eternity. And if you can believe that, if you can receive that and believe it, the Bible says you will be saved. And so we're going to wrap up here right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, but I'm going to ask the rest of you. We don't do this very often. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. No one's going to come and embarrass you. No one's going to point you out. I just want to give you an opportunity in this moment. If you, hearing these words, which I have stumbled through and always feel inadequate in presenting, but if God is speaking to you and you sense this morning, you understand this morning that you've grasped the truth, the fact that you've sinned and that you are broken and need remedy and you're willing to repent and allow God to change who you are from the inside out, that you're, uh, you're ready to accept his gift of salvation, his payment for the wages of our sin and commit to being a follower of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I just want you to look at me and let's lock eyes so I can, I can know you and pray for you. I'm going to pray for you now, but in the back of this little pamphlet, there's a page that says this, you've heard the good news and God wants you to respond and you can talk to him using words like these. You don't have to, there's no magic words. There's not a formula. My growing up life, we had kind of a formula. It was almost like a, a magic chant to get saved. But I think it's better if it just comes from you. You, you know how to talk. And you don't have to talk out loud. This is between you and God. But you express things like, my life is broken and I recognize it's because of my sin and I need you. I believe Christ came to live and die and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I want to turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know, I believe that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. As we sing this last song together, If that's you this morning and you indicated that this was the first time really that you were, were understanding how to trust Jesus, then I just talk to him about those things. Ask him to save you. Ask his spirit to fill you and to be with you.
And when we're finished this morning, if you would just come and see me. Let's have a, a, a brief face-to-face -face conversation this morning. I would love that. So that I can celebrate with you in that, in that moment, in that decision. We can talk about what comes next for you in life with Christ. So let me pray for you. Father, you're so, you're so good to us. So incredibly good as we think about the gift that you've given us through Jesus Christ. That our sin doesn't have to be fatal to us or that you can remedy our brokenness. So Lord, I pray for those who who have joined eyes with me this morning, Lord, those who have felt a call to Christ. Lord, I pray that in this moment they will know, they will know that you are true to them. And Lord, that, that nothing will be the same from here on out because you will be with them in a way that you've never been before. Lord, for those who may still be seeking, Lord, I pray that you will put people in their paths, conversations in their days to come that will more fully reveal yourself to them. That they would come to know you and the joy of what it is to live a life in Christ. Lord, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.